Hey guys, welcome into the Happy Haven once again. This week we have Tad Stone. Uh, very much, um, how to put it? it, it's pretty clear, I guarantee you, he has put his hand to something that you loved as a child and still love today. I know that's the case for me, so I am overjoyed, excited, and more than happy to welcome in Tad Stones into the Happy Haven. Hey. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Evening. Whatever. Good day. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. Yes, sir. So, I'd start with... Um, It's good to see DuckTales coming back now. Yes, I was just at Disney TV Animation yesterday, dropping off a bunch of stuff, and I broke a table when I was there. Excellent. I was going to say, oh, this is going to haunt me. But uh, as I was walking away, the guys were saying, I can't wait to tell them who broke this. Exactly. I offered to autograph it. I put up a placard. (laughs) Yes. On this day... But no, for, for those of us who grew up in the 80s and the 90s, um, the, the, the work you did was, for us, magic. And it still is. is, it still is. Um, I know people that I hang around with, if I were to even utter the words, let's get dangerous, somebody would go, <gasps> and... <laughs> so, if you want, um, you can let some of the... Let the listeners know some of the stuff that you've been a part of in their magical childhood memories. Well, I I started at Disney way back in 1974 and wow. worked on the Rescuers, the feature film. Oh my god! And actually have actually have one animated scene in it. Um, then I moved into story on Fox and Hound. Um, oh. Although I that was back in the days before everybody got credits, so I did not get a credit on that one either. Um, and then I moved, I did some work at uh, Walt Disney Imagineering, which was then called WED, Designing Rides with, for Epcot Center. Worked with Ward Kimball on the Transportation Pavilion, although our ride has now been replaced. And Tony Baxter, uh, amazing Disneyland designer, uh, worked with him on the Imagination Pavilion. Um, oh my goodness. And then I, you know, by years past, weird things happen, but uh, I was there right at the beginning, uh, at least for the first meeting with Michael Eisner, about Disney TV animation. And then eight months, nine months later, somewhere in there, I shifted over from features to um, TV, and I finished off my Disney career there doing... um, Let's see, the rundown would be uh, the third season of Gummy Bears, oh then goodness. Rescue Rangers, Darkwing yes. Duck, and Aladdin, Hercu- and the direct-to-videos, uh, Hercules, uh, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, and uh, a, sh- a show that was canceled where everybody loved it. They said, this is the best thing ever, and then the movie didn't do well. That was Team Atlantis. The yes. only thing that the only thing that's uh, survives out of that is uh, direct-to-video. And um, I did a lot of development after that, but I don't think got anything else on the air after that. I recently discovered that I did story. I didn't think I story edited on DuckTales at all, but I at least did a, a Valentine special with Lynn Yuley, the writer. Um, 
So who knows what's slipping through the gaps of my brain lobes. And then after Disney did all sorts of things, did uh, uh, New Adventures of Brer Rabbit for Universal and uh, two Hellboy animated movies. Yes. I'd say Darkwing Duck and Hellboy were my two career highlights. And um, aside from odd scripts here and there, did like four years on Bob's Burgers just as a uh, storyboard person and uh, ended up doing a show called Kulapari, the Army of Frogs for uh, Netflix. Netflix, yeah. yeah. And that just uh, that was successful enough to get a second season, but uh, by then I had retired. And uh, since then I've been going, being invited to uh, conventions and selling original artwork and just having fun. Wow, okay, so I think this episode... So that was it. All right, thanks everybody. See yeah, all right. Good night, everybody. Now, um, so you worked on features at Disney. I want to deep yeah, dive. Yeah, that's why I started. Disney. I started um, Ron Clemens. Oh, I just talked to Ron and John yesterday. Ron Clemens, John Musker. Yes. Uh, and Ron started in January of 1974, and I started three days after graduation, so that would have been June of 1974. And then two or three months after me, Glenn Keane came into the program, uh, the little training program. And uh, so that was the little little time slot <laughs> where wow. I fit in. So this and was... Ron, of course, went, Ron, of course, went on to, you know, write and direct on little things like The Great Mouse Detective, Little Mermaid, Aladdin... Treasure Planet, Hercules, <laughs> Moana, say, you know, little, little things like little things, little things. I love the Great Mouse Detective. Actually, that was a great take on on Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, Ron was always a Sherlock Holmes enthusiast. I mean, he just loved that stuff and always wanted to do something in Disney, and finally got the chance. So, this was in Disney California, I take it. Yes, especially in the seven. Yeah, okay. Um, was it at, at the? Uh, was it at, at, at the, the, the big studio? It was at studio? the main studio, or, though. Okay, I mean, yeah. We started, there was no... The, the Again, we were talking about this yesterday, how small the studio was back then. They only really? did, like, maybe three live-action movies a year, and an animated film came out, like, every four or five years. Not counting ink and paint, the animation department was only 65 people, I think, when I started. Really? So that's, that's how small, when you talk about the Disney animation legacy, it got down to, I mean, technically a few years before, it would have been even smaller. Um, so it was like, it was, you know, was, we got to work with many of the guys who worked with Walt, because that's how small the department was. That's what I was going to say. Did you ever get to meet Mr. Disney, or? No. Uh, Walt died in, I think, what, 66? 66. I might have been in the same room with him, um, just like when he would talk at an auditorium or something, I seem to remember. But I know Duck, I, I saw Ducky Nash perform with his Donald Duck ventriloquist puppet. And that wow. Was childhood. I was literally born, or I was born literally across the street from the Disney Studios at St. Joseph's Hospital in Burbank. So perhaps it was destined. That's amazing. That you, like... I mean, how was it to, to, to go on the 
on the other side of the, of the proverbial wall there when you were, <laughs> you know. Oh, it was great. I always had a connection to Disney in that um, my father worked for Carnation Company, and they would have their company picnic, their yearly annual company picnic at Disneyland because where Pirates is right now used to just be, this is in Anaheim, uh, it was just a park with park benches. And they would set up a tent and we'd go in. And I know at least one year they put on the Golden Horseshoe Review there. Um, That's the Western show, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. With this Wally Bogue who'd do this thing where he'd spit out teeth because he got hit in the mouth and it was, you know, white beans or something. But uh, And then they played bingo, which at the time I was just a little kid. So it was all okay. But now I look back at that. Wait. You're playing bingo? It's like Disneyland is right there. It's like it's it's literally right there. I'm pointing <laughs> look at me, I'm pointing at it. Um But anyway, there'd be a lot of activities and then they'd open up these gates and we'd enter through this back gate. And so once a year I got to go to Disneyland. That was a big deal. And then when I got older my dad got me tickets if I wanted to go with some friends and stuff. Um and that was through college, and then of course I started to work, you know, at Disney. And uh, you know, it was only just a couple of years ago that I realized for the first time I paid to go to Disneyland, and man, was it a lot of money! <laughs> yeah, we're actually. <laughs> like, oh God, do I need a second mortgage on this? But you know, you know what? Honestly, we're going this year. We're taking my um, my my ten year old who's turning eleven at the end of the month, and and that's when we're going. Um, she gets to say Nana to all her all her schoolmates this year, and we're going the last week of August. She starts school Monday, so um, it'll be the first time taking her. And we're going to Walt Disney World. Um, being in Atlanta, it's much easier to drive to Orlando oh, yeah. than to figure out a way to Anaheim. Now, are um, you going? Are you going to several of the parks, or just no Magic Kingdom? <clears throat> yeah, um, Magic Kingdom, but they have this program. It's the same weekend they're they're kicking off Halloween, um, and it was this program where you go in at four p.m. to midnight, and it actually gets closed to the general public. You have to have this special, the special pass. And the the reason why we're going is um, we have friends who are Disney files. They go multiple times a year. God bless them. Yeah. Um, I've got I'm several friends who are. Disney annual pass holders and go yep. to Dapper Day and all sorts of things. Go Disney bounding and, you know, they're into it big time. Right. So they've got the inside scoop. And these tickets come with the fast pass and eight hours of special access to the park. And it was only $71 a person. Wow. So Right. So we were looking at an actual Disney vacation, and the day rate, if you want to do a multi-park, I think it's called the Hopper Pass and the this and the that, it ended up being about 240 with all the taxes for the one day for, for the three of us. And it would have cost almost that much per day to do a full vacation at the Orlando yeah. um, Disney World. So we hopped on those tickets in a hot minute and... We're going, I haven't been since 98, no, since 94. And well, I believe it's changed a bit since then. Oh, I can't wait to see the, the, the difference. Uh, it was still MGM Studios, 
when we went, which is now, I think it's called Hollywood Studios down there. Mm -hmm. Um, The Tower of Terror was the newest ride. That lets you know how long it's been since I've been there. Oh, yeah. And I remember being completely enthralled by the, um, the holographic special effects in the hallway as, as you went down and, you know, as, as you, the, the, the ghost guests and the, at, uh-huh. it was, yeah. I mean, I, at 14, 15 years old, Magic Kingdom, um, at that, I'm going to be a punk rock teenager phase didn't hold a lot for me, but, you know, Epcot was absolutely amazing and I still love Epcot and MGM Studios was was the place so you know my my parents let me have my own hopper pass and my dad would look longingly as I went to go do MGM and Epcot because I had two younger brothers who were right at the right age for the Magic Kingdom yeah and and, and he would look on with longing although now the now the <laughs> Magic Kingdom is is Definitely for all ages. I mean, it always has been, actually. It's yeah. Like you're not too full of yourself, but, you know, now there's a lot more thrill rides. There's, you well, know, that's just plenty of rides that littlest kids can't go on. So. At 14, I was full of myself, so I was like, I don't yeah. need that park. I'm going to go where, <laughs> I'm going to go to the more grown-up parks. And, and my dad would, he would look, he would look on longingly as I got on the tram and was like, have fun on the teacups. <laughs> I'm going to go watch Indiana Jones stunt show spectacular. <laughs> you know, it was, but I, I mean, I grew up, you know, in like I said, in the eighties and nineties, Disney was everything. Um, you know, like you said, those those little movies you were talking about, and <laughs> and then the Disney TV shows hit, and um, I grew up an avid Gummy Bears, Darkwing's Duck, uh, Rescue Rangers. Um, fanatic. Uh, I remember having the comic books and the video games and making sure that I was in front of a TV when they ran. And so, you know, it's... Well, that's it. You were in the, you were in my prime time. Man, I'll tell you. But so, I'd, I'd actually like to talk, you know, deep dive it into the the features you worked on being in the Disney studio in the seventies before we get into the greatness that was the Disney TV. Um, what I, you know, I've, I've listened to other podcasts and I've watched documentaries on, on what it was like to work, you know, in Disney, but I'd like to actually ask you, um, firsthand what the animation studio was like, you know, back then. Well, I mean, it was like I said, it was it was very very small. Uh, again, it, w- it was surprising one day that Frank Thomas, uh, w- actually, I think was in the middle of talking to Ron Clemens or something, and he got a call from um, some kid outside who just called, and it was like, yeah, they were icons to us, but some kid had it enough together to, I guess, just call the Disney lot and say, may I please speak to Frank Thomas? And they put him through and he chatted with him. Um, <laughs> and, and we were like stunned. We were like, what? We, we, we could have done that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's not like we would have and wouldn't know what to say, but, but still it's, it's, it somehow was this different kind of reality. Um, so it was a it was a great place, very small studio. So we wandered all over the place. There was still a back lot then, and we walked through the Zorro set in the Western Town and oh, that must have been enjoyed amazing. it when they tore they 
basically redecorated part of the western town and dug a huge hole in the ground to fill with water for uh, Pete's Dragon uh, to be a whole dock area, which they then bulldozed over and filled up again. It just seemed like so the western town was, was Passamaquoddy? Uh, the back half. They the basically back half. Re- they basically redressed, as I recall, and built a few new buildings, but they dug a huge, you know, ditch for um, basically the scene. Oh, I think the I think it's early on in the picture that they have. It's I think you know I vaguely recall Pete, the you know the ugly people <laughs> trying to get Pete back in the boat or something like that. But that was all you know on the set in the back lot. That's right. That's uh, when they uh, sing that. And super where the dragon, where the dragon was, uh, Elliot was caught in a net coming yep. out of a barn. That was, you know, they had built a barn and rigged it and everything. So, I mean, just every once in a while seeing that kind of stuff uh, was fun. It really did feel like, oh, wow, I do work in Hollywood. Uh, but animation itself, I mean, I was, after I got out of the training program, my problem was I was a terrible in-betweener. I mean, you got out of that training program, basically, you started working on the production. And then how you got ahead was doing personal tests, you know, in your spare time. Hmm. Um, But your actual job, you know, usually was helping get the movie done. So it was in-betweening. And I just, I was terrible at it. There was, even though, looking back, people were saying the right things to me, it wasn't clicking in my head. And um, it was... I was, you know, I came close to not being able to to stay. Uh, and then uh, I kept doing personal tests and not showing them for whatever reason, because I came up with a different idea and then start another test. Um, What's a personal test? One day test? I pulled, that's just a piece of animation that you, you know, you do it on regular animation paper and then it was last priority, but you sent it to the camera and they'd, in between feature scenes, they would, uh, it was a pencil test. Oh, okay. You know, so basically that's what, I mean, now you see people in college doing these fully colored, special effects laden, you know, tests, both in 2D and and CG. uh, And it's amazing. But back then it was, you know, no, it was just a pencil test backlit filmed under a camera. Um, Anyway, I remember the manager of the department walking by and I was looking at an old test on a moviola because it was film. Um, And I said, hey, Ed, can you look at this for a second? I'm thinking of going back in and finishing this test. Um, See if, you know, what do you think? And I showed it to him. He said, oh, that looks good. No, you should just show it as is. And I was like, oh, really? Cool. You know, and then he said, yeah, we had we had kind of given up on you. It was like, <laughs> no, nobody thought to mention that to me, like a six-month review saying, hey, are you going to, you know, I guess they needed people to be self-starters or whatever. Uh, so that's when I was bumped up to assistant animator. Um, oh, wow. But after that, I realized what I was doing is, as much as I loved the process of animation, of rolling drawings between your fingers on the desk um, literally seeing drawings begin to move and seemingly come alive beneath your fingers 
I love that part, but I realized I was really attracted to figuring out what the characters did instead of making them do it, and that equals story. Um, right. So I did animate one scene in The Rescuers of Bernard Mouse walking across the desk and turning at the sound of a cuckoo clock. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, on Fox and Hound, I did uh, several sequences. Um, but like then, I did all my work under Willie Reitherman. And then I was I went to WED to work on the Epcot stuff. And other people took over from Wooly, Art Stevens and <clears throat> Ted Berman, Rich Rich, I think. Um, so all my, so when the movie finished up, they didn't have any experience working with me. And dis- credits were at the discretion of the directors. And the credits were not long. They were like, you know, seven cards or something like that. Yeah. It wasn't until Black Cauldron that they entered the, you know, everybody got credit, including production people, secretaries, catering. catering. It's all typical in, in credit sequences now, but that was the first time it had been done in animation at Disney. But I missed that. <laughs> I was elsewhere. <laughs> uh, so that so my time, I again, wasn't that long at Features. I mean, it was several years, but um, the two productions was just, Rescuers, Fox and Hound, and then I did an educational film, Health and Alcohol Abuse, that I produced and uh, storyboarded on my own. And then oh, wow. I think because of that connection to education is why they sent me over to uh, WED to work on the, you know, Epcot Center was a mix of entertainment and education. So uh, I was over there for, I don't know, two, three years or whatever. And then... Uh, the highlights of that were, again, working with Ward Kimball for nine months in a room that's like 8 by 12, just the two of us. That's when I wish I had kept a diary. Uh, and then oh, that's... longer than that on, uh, with Tony Baxter and Barry Braverman, the, we were the three key guys on the Imagination Pavilion. Um, how, how Tom Morris was our engineer. Our how first. harrowing is it to come up with a section for one of the parts? It was, you know, you just, it was funny in that it was still, you're talking a small place. Now it's, you know, the animation department has hundreds of people in it, you know. Um, WED was also, you know, a fairly small place. I mean, it really bulked up to do Epcot. It was suddenly so much work going through at the same time as opposed to, oh, here's the new ride we're putting in. It was like, no, we're building an entirely new park. Um but it was still, you know, the model shop was the model shop. People were, you know, you're making little toys that move. And, and uh, uh, it's just a whole different type of storytelling. You know, it was really interesting. That sounds like a dream to me. I, well, I, I, say, I love I, the back end stuff. I love watching stuff. I love participating in stuff. But I'm fascinated by what went into bringing it to me. Yeah, well, the the old Disneyland TV show, I mean, Walt, every network wanted Walt to do television. Yes. He always passed on it until Disneyland. And he says, I'll do a show for you, but it'll be an anthology show, and it has to be called Disneyland, and I have to be allowed to every once in a while. We're going to 
update the behind the scenes of the park. And they said, sure, you know, it was fantastic. Uh, and I always loved that because you saw different parts of the organization. And before I got to TV animation, even, I realized, man, I never thought when I first came here that I would actually be working in all these different departments. You know, I just went all through that company. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, it's like I never had the same job for more than a year and a half, it seemed. And then when I got to TV animation, I don't know, I stuck there for 15 years or whatever it was. Um, more, I think. Uh, anyway, then my show changed every two years or so. So I always liked that. And plus, every show is made up of mini episodes. And I think I was more suited toward that. I liked the idea of exploring many, many possibilities in the shows. And uh, having the long format instead of the one contained story. Well, I mean, all our stories, well, not all, but most of them were one and done. So you're telling a story in, in 22 minutes. But yeah, the being able to tell a bunch of stories instead of working on one story for, you know, Ron and John just worked on Moana for six years. Right. Yeah, yeah that's what I meant. Like having the, <laughs> yeah, having a variety instead of. I, I'll tell you what, my Moana was really good. My my daughter, my my, my youngest, um, it it I was glad when it came along because it it replaced Frozen. Um, and I, look, great well, parents, musical. It, it's like anything that gets played into the ground. You, you know, it's like please don't put the don't put the music on. No, let me let me listen to something else. <laughs> I'll tell you what though. I'll always have a special thing with Frozen because we decided when we, we go to Florida every year um, for vacation. Uh, I, I grew up coastal in New England, and I, I need to see the ocean at least once a year. Um, and we decided to drive in at night, and there's n- nothing better than it being 3.30 in the morning on a dark highway in the swamps of Florida, a family of four already delirious from lack of sleep, singing the Frozen soundtrack at the top of their lungs. <laughs> you know, with nothing but the fireflies and the alligators on a, on a highway. Being pulled Florida. over by the sheriff and saying, no, come on, just let it go. Right? Let us hey. go. <laughs> let us go. I can't take any points on my life. <laughs> but no, um, yeah, I... I was just really glad to see something else take that slot. Um, uh, So, okay. So you met with, uh, you said Michael Eisner announced the TV. Well, it was, it was literally Michael Eisner started in children's television at ABC. Right. Um, So the, The, the licensing side of things and, the, you know, basically said, you know, we can't sell toys without TV shows because the features back then, again, were coming out, you know, once every five years. And it's, you know, you needed that something in the in the media to make T-shirts out of, you know, kind of thing. Right. Um, so they had explored getting into television, but the previous management didn't want to use overseas studios and anything else was just too expensive. Um, 
Well, Michael and I was actually part of investigating whether it was feasible to do it, and it was not, as, you know, unless they were going to, you know, let us use a, an outside studio. Um, anyway, it was Michael Eisner's first week. I was on vacation. It was his first week on the job, and this, that Sunday uh, he had a meeting at his house, and I had been given a call by some of these guys I'd worked with before who said, we know you're on vacation, but would you be open to coming to Michael Eisner's house to you know, talk about animation? It's like, I'm going to say no to that, no, being right. a guy and all that. Um, so we went there, and, and basically, Michael felt like Disney is the top name in animation. Uh, everywhere there is animation, Disney should be in it. That doesn't mean... TV animation will be of the same quality as feature or commercials or Sesame Street. They're all going to have, you know, educational films. It, it, it doesn't matter. They, we should be in all those areas, uh, and we should be the top in each one of those. And I think there's nothing wrong with that kind of thing. I mean, it ended yeah, up basically it was just, you know, television and movies, but still um, – our shows, the first shows were the Wuzzles and uh, Gummy Bears, and especially Gummy Bears brought a different kind of storytelling to Saturday morning than was currently on the air. You're talking and, to a 36-year-old uh, man who still remembers every word of that theme song. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would, they tried to make, they were like little mini features, and even though the network uh, rather have a show of two eleven minutes per half hour, uh, we always pushed to get at least X many 22-minute shows, mostly for production reasons, because doing two shorter shows is actually way more expensive than doing one twenty-two. because huh. when you think about it, it doesn't matter how long it is. If you go to a different location, you still have to design all those locations, all the new props, all the new characters, whereas if you have just a single adventure, it's like, oh, we're going to... The, Mountain witches, you know, Alpine Lodge, <laughs> whatever. And it's like, okay, you design the lodge, but you get to use it for the whole half hour. Right. As opposed to, we're doing an 11-minute gag with the witch who lives on top of the mountain, and now we're doing a second show with the underwater adventures, you know. Um, anyway, what those 22 minutes allowed us to do on gummies is to even tell more of a story uh, often about gummy lore, I think were some of my favorite episodes. Mm -hmm. We just got a sense of the magic in that universe and all, or the history of the gummies. Um, so anyway, that was, yeah, so I was there at the, basically I was at that meeting, went back to features, and was actually considering leaving the company um, when I ran into the guys from television again, and basically they said, oh, come on over and see our stuff, and Basically, they could really use me. I talked to Jeffrey Katzenberg about it, and he said oh, wow. it's not a one-way. He says it's not a one-way street, but that you could really help out now. They'd really like you over there. I quickly found out it was a one-way street because <laughs> it was like, hey, I I don't know if I'm going to do this. You have to. You've already talked to Jeffrey, and it's like okay. And it turned out to be a great fit for me. So, yes, it turned out to be a great fit for us too. <laughs> I'm glad you stayed. Um, okay, so I had, um, on a previous episode, um, I had Eric and, Ju um, and Julia Lewald. Lewald, yeah. 
Lee Walt, yeah. On, I uh, just I just found a uh, photo of Julie and I at Disneyland just yesterday. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, said, oh I didn't know we had this. Because she was like, I think Julia actually has the most credits um, often shared with me on um, Rescue Rangers. Because that was just, we did not have enough staff on the Rescue Rangers. We didn't, and we didn't know it at the time, but it about killed us. <laughs> so it got well, better after that. I had them on for the X-Men. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm a huge, yeah, I am a huge comic book nerd. I, I, yeah, I, I am video games, cartoons, and and comic books are, are a lifelong um, obsession and affinity for me. So I had them on for the X-Men episode um, and was talking to them about that, and they said that they met working on the Disney afternoon shows. Mm-hmm. And I completely flipped my lid, and it... it, it it became at least 20 minutes of that show had nothing to do <laughs> with, with yeah. the X-Men cartoon. It was just like, oh, my God, so what was it? Oh, my God, what was it like? That it, so, you know, then reaching out and getting you on, it was like that that block of, of, of TV over those years was, was so important um, to, to me and I think a lot of people from my generation. So I definitely... Yeah, well, it's you know, nice I've, for me at these conventions. I mean, at the time, we didn't get any feedback that, you know, on a visceral level. I mean, again, my friends working in features could just go to a movie theater and sit in an audience and see people rela- react to their work and hear without the necessity of focus groups or research or anything like that. They could just sit in a theater and hear whether people like their work or not. Uh, with TV, even though we had these abstract things called ratings that we didn't always see, and meanwhile they were, you know, ratings of sh- episodes we had done months and months before because we were working well ahead. Right. Um, it wasn't until going to conventions and having a table that I got the reaction of these fans that are, you know, they say how much it, what you've said, how much it meant to them. Um, how emotional they could get over it. Sometimes there's a group of people and we're talking Darkwing Duck. And then I'd mention, oh yeah, I also did Rescue Rangers. And then one of the other people in the back go, and then they want to come to the front and start talking. Because it's like, oh, I see you're like a year and a half older than your brother here. Um, Anyway, it was, you know, that's now it's, I finally got a banner to be behind me with Darkwing and the Rangers on it. Um, So I don't get that same sense of surprise. But at least I'm getting that reaction from fans that, you know, it's so sweet and so nice. And, and especially I did Denver comic con this year and it was so great that whole families would come up and say, Oh, we've got the DVDs and everything. And I'd mentioned the new DuckTales show and the whole family, mom, dad, and the kids are going, yeah, we can't wait. So it's like, awesome. You're talking, (laughs) you're, you're, yeah, you're talking to one of those families that would walk up, and probably completely dork out and sing the entire Rescue Rangers theme song. I have had that happen, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, a woman my, came up and claimed she had lost a bet. She sang the entire, she had a beautiful like gospel singer voice. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, and I think she just made that up. But it was great. She sings the whole song, and walking up behind her is Jim Cummings. <gasps> who on, you know, And then he says in Monterey Jack's voice, Ow, oh, crikey, that was quite a song you did there, you know. I'd have, fantastic. I, I would yeah. just fall out. I, I would. Yeah. I would just fall out. 
Um, I'd I'd love to talk to him. There's so many. Oh, he's the best. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, so how, so you went from gummy bears straight to rescue rangers, or was there? No, that was it. I third season of of, of gummy bears and. Um, then in development, which with Rescue Rangers, which originally didn't have the chipmunks in them. Uh, really? Yeah, it was led by Kit Colby, and the group was, Gadget was in it, uh, pretty much as is, uh, a version of Monterey Jack, except same personality, but he was a kangaroo rat. Hmm. Uh, Zipper was the same. Uh, then there was a chameleon uh, who could, she could, t- you know, become practically invisible. She could do plaid, but it hurt. Um, nice. Then <laughs> there was a chirp sing, an Asian um, kind of like, um, the, like uh, well, the mentor kind of martial arts enthusiast and and baseball nut. Uh, and then finally, there was a near, they got around on a giant nearsighted bald eagle, and that was the rescue rangers. So we pitched it to Michael Eisner and Jeffrey and. Um, <laughs> Richard Frank is the, the other TV executive at the time, and they all liked the show, but they didn't feel anything for the character. He was like two as we pitched him, because I just recently, uh, actually Jim Magon mailed him to me, um, email, um, the pitch, and it was like, oh, Kit Colby was this super, like an expert, you know, and maybe it was, whatever, they didn't get his personality, and so he said, we like the show, but think about the personality and, and I stupidly said um, well is it just because you're not familiar with them which is just a dumb thing to say and they said no you just pitched these guys and we got them in in you know a couple of sentences and the, right. what they were talking about is I had just pitched Bubba Duck and Gizmo Duck although oh, at, the time, <laughs> at the time he was uh, Robo Duck because uh, Robocop had come out the summer before and I that was the pitch basically and you remember the hero of last summer the box office hit RoboDuck, RoboDuck. Uh, which was until recently because I didn't have anything to do with the actual Gizmo Duck episodes, but I don't know how it happened, but they put an R on his chest for RoboDuck, and it's like somewhere along the line they changed the name and nobody changed the letter on his chest. <laughs> yeah, because so, he became Gizmo Duck. Yeah, uh, which I think Blather and anyway, but. But, uh, yeah, I was taken to task by fans because I did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter and I said RoboDuck because we had been talking about it. And I don't know whether it was the reporter's mistake or mine, but when he wrote it down, he noticed RoboDuck and then he he decided to leave it. Um, And that started a huge controversy about I don't know my own characters. And it's like... Hey, oh, take a look Lord. at the R on his chest. Uh, but the new version of Gizmo, of course, they just flip that symbol and with a little, you know, little pushing and pulling, turn the backwards R into a G. Into a G. So it's finally correct. So okay, so they didn't go with the your what? Oh, your, yeah, oh that's true. I'm sorry. Got no, no, no. Uh, that's okay. I'm. You know what? I will get anyway. Lost after that, what on my own is, is uh, <laughs> Ducktales you know, had been a huge hit. And they said, well, are there any other classic characters? And they said, Michael was very protective of Mickey from the day, from day one. And he says, no, it's still too soon for Mickey or, you know, our 
technical side of animation has to get much better. Um, Donald was already in DuckTales, hard to animate, which is one of the reasons he's barely in DuckTales. Uh, Hard to understand, obviously. Um, Well, just trying to, again, we were paranoid about trying to match the old style of animation and, you know, on on a tiny fraction of the budget. So we were all very conscious of that. Goofy was the one who they say, oh, definitely we can do with Goofy because, you know, a big part of his career was doing not being a character as much as an everyman. I mean, you knew the goof character, but you'd see cartoons like How to Play Football that were entirely populated by identical goofy characters. Uh, And I think because of that, he was left less uh, sacrosanct. And uh, so we... Thank God, because Goof Troop was amazing. Yeah, but before that, there were detective shows pitched and all sorts of things like that, because he could have been slotted in any way. Anyway, when we got down the list, of course, we hit Chippendale Rescue Rangers, and it was Michael Eisner who said, put those guys in that show. And Jeffrey said, home run. Wow. So at the same meeting, we went from, like the show, need a different need the changes to the character to having a greenlit show. And now because we had two leads, uh, that changed. You can't have too many people on the team. They don't just, they don't get enough screen time. So, uh, it gadget stayed zipper and, uh, stayed, um, Monty went through a little changes and, uh, the bald Eagle became a, uh, invention of gadgets, the Ranger plane, the Ranger. Yeah. So, okay, so I, I asked them, so I already got the answer, but it's, it, it, have you seen, have you seen on, on social media, I'm sure you have the, the memes where it's, it's, you know, they, they type in, like, how have we never seen this before? And it's the picture of Chippendale from Rescue Rangers and then Magnum P.I. and Indiana Jones underneath. Yeah. The, and people uh, are acting like this is a revelation <laughs> well, that, this many it years is later. It's puzzling to me that it, because I was so self-conscious at the time of <laughs> giving the hat to um, Chip. I just felt like, no, it's too on the nose. We, see, Kit Colby already had that jacket as a character. He had that flight jacket with the with the sheepskin collar or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it was natural to give him to Chip. And then I forgot whose idea it was to, to put the Indiana Jones hat on him. Um but even even if it was me, I don't know that it was. Um, it just felt like, well, pe- people are going to know it right away, which is both a strength and a, not necessarily a weakness, but a, it's right. kind of a crutch to say, oh, this will tell you about the character by making him look that way. So when people, you know, said, wow, we never noticed this, it always stunned me. And I remember my son... Uh, the father of my grandchildren um, pointed out that you know that the same thing that the meme was out there. I said, "Yeah, I, I've seen that." You know, it's like you know, at the time I didn't think anybody would get the pun of Zipper the Fly, <laughs> and he and he went and said, "I didn't either until just now." So you know, we were operating on a different level, but yeah, yeah the, I mean, are. if basically I I made the um, the connection of Thomas Magnum, but we didn't 
really take anything from them because right. when as soon as you have one chipmunk in clothes, you have to put the other one in clothes or at least no pants. That would be silly. But um, a Hawaiian shirt just seemed like a natural thing for Dale um, because he's he the way we saw him, he was goofier and looser and, you know, yeah, it definitely uh, went with the personality. Yeah, so, I mean, that's how that happened anyway. But, yeah, very familiar with that. So how would you come up with Fat Cat? Fat Cat actually came probably from Carl Gears. Before there was Rescue Rangers, there was a pitch called, well, let's put it this way. We were in the middle of a gong show, which is when we would pitch to Michael and Jeffrey basically log lines of ideas. And a log line comes from the old, TV guide or TV logs. It's the one-line description of a show, and you're supposed to tune in because of that. So we would have gong shows where you just, you know, I remember there was like the Trojan birds and the Legionnaire cats. It was like the hmm. Battle of Troy, but Troy was up in trees, and it was basically a Roadrunner and Coyote cartoon, but with you know Roman cats and. Trojan birds, um, and that got gonked, strangely enough. But at the same time, one of the things that was pitched was Miami mice, and <laughs> they they loved that. And and I remember one of the guys said, "What are they? You can't do drugs." Well, it'd be cheese, you know. It'd be cheese. Um, but here's the thing: they always they assumed you were going to do a good show, no matter what they picked. But they were always looking for gimmicks or titles that would give you that early tune in and right. then it was up to you to keep the audience um, which is how Darkwing got started um, but with Miami Mice it was that was the idea of the gag as we got into it I don't think legal got involved maybe they did I don't know I don't remember that but other people were putting out like into at least two independent comic books I think came out called Miami Mice, just parody things. Uh, even Sesame Street did a Miami Mice uh, episode with Kermit being a reporter and talking to the guys. Um, wow. Anyway, we changed it to Metro Mice and did a... And actually, I recently posted a drawing of it. And it's like, I can't believe we had him holding a gun, you know, without a rubber dart in it. It was just a gun gun. Uh, anyway, developed it with Jim Magon and Carl Gears, and uh, Fat Cat was actually a villain created for that. Huh. Uh, so that didn't go anywhere, but he was already, you know, it was like, well, here's a ready-made villain. Let's let's use him. So we did. That's amazing. Like, to me, that's amazing how much stuff that could have been. And then, well, it's, you know, it is, it's, you know, you look at, all the stuff we did, and it was the same handful of us, you know, um, right. <coughs> excuse me, uh, pitching shows. But if you had a gag that you liked or a character you liked, it's like you kept trying to fit them in as, you know, as long as you know, the higher ups did not get tired of them. I think at one point, Jeffrey Katzenberg told Greg Wiseman that he would strangle him if Greg pitched Gargoyles one more time. Um, oh. Because. Gargoyles went through many, many different versions of sheer comedy to slapstick, uh, many, many lives before it got to the show that, that you gasp at. 
Oh my uh, god. That what I I have I wait year after year as I see reboots come out and things get revisited. I am so ready to hear that there's a gargoyles project coming. You know I, what? I, <sighs> I I I certainly get that. The and Greg has never given up stories. Uh, we had him do for Atlantis series that never happened. Uh, we had Greg do an episode where um, um, Mar- Maria uh, Marina Sirtis, uh, what her gargoyle character is. Anyway, that they had the adventure because for a while our Atlantis show was set uh, through time. Not they didn't time travel, but their um, well, actually, they wouldn't have had to do it. Whatever, whatever period we set it in, it was like, oh, the gargoyles haven't been resurrected, but she's still alive, and he did a crossover episode. Oh, but wow. Greg would never give up when fans say, oh, what if this happened? And, you know, and uh, he just doesn't, you know, he'd say, well, that would be interesting or something, but he'll never give it up just in case he's allowed to get back to that. Um, now, here's the and this is totally me, not based on anything from the company or anything else, but when you want to bring back a show, you, and I say this about the new DuckTales, I say, guys, the old DuckTales show was literally done for the audience of the last century. Right. This one's being done for the 21st century. Uh, And it's one of those things where the fans would definitely want a gargoyle show to continue right off of the old one. So you're talking about a show that's what, like get close to 25 years 25 ago. Years, yeah. It's like, you know, that doesn't really make sense, you know, for a new audience, like kids turning it on and you know, right. you're not going to pick up plot lines. So if that did come back, they would have to do, you know, do they just take the premise? Do they take the characters and just start them over? Which is the logical thing to do. Um, yes. Just like, I mean, frankly, it's no different what Eric and Julia did with the X-Men. I mean, there's so many versions of the X-Men, and everybody says, okay, this is the team I'm going to start with. We're going to concentrate on them in school. No, we're going right. to start with them hiding which out. Which era, the which, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously you see it in the live-action versions right now. Um so that's, I mean, to me, a lot of the stuff that made Gargoyle special um, is Greg's passion for all that. And, you know, the syndicators hated all the continuing storylines because they wanted to show the episodes in any order they wanted. Right, exactly. You buy it in syndication, you chop it yeah. up, and it just takes up a time slot on your... On yeah, your exactly. So, yeah. you know, anyway... I mean, I, there's such a love with, with Gargoyles, and Greg is, is certainly ready to jump back. But again, would the company have Greg come back for it? I mean, it's right. it's like, I get why you would want that. I mean, every time something is announced, you hear, well, if so-and-so isn't doing the voice, or if they don't have him yeah, in charge, no, I'm, out. I'm not going to do that. It's like, you know what? It's a new thing. I always... With the new DuckTales shows, um, which I'm very high on, I always yeah. talk about it like uh, Sherlock Holmes. If you're going to do a new Sherlock Holmes show, um, 
you don't go to the last version and try to that somebody else did and try to hook it up. Right. Um, you go back to the source. So, and then once you look at the source, say, what do I want to take from that? And oh, by the way, my Sherlock Holmes is Basil, and he's a mouse, and he actually lives in the walls of the other Sherlock Holmes, you know, flat. Um, Basil of Baker. That's how you. Yeah, exactly. So that's how you get these different, you know, variations of Sherlock Holmes. So that's the same thing you would do if you're going to bring back one of these shows. That's certainly what they've done with DuckTales, that they've, because the original show is not the source material. The source material is, was created by Carl Barks and continued by Don Rosa, who did the life and times of Scrooge McDuck, really filled in the lore of his right. past which was required reading for all the writers on this staff. Uh, but also they go to the Donald Duck cartoons, the Donald Duck comic strips, the Uncle Scrooge comic strips, the video games. Uh, that's all you know, what they grew up with. And right. that's all source material. So they don't just bring back Huey, Dewey, and Louie and have them be the exact same thing they were because they even change when they were in comics. I mean, Donald Duck as a as a character is so different in the comics as he is in the cartoon because mm-hmm. of course in the cartoon he couldn't really talk and in the comic he talks his head off and sometimes he's a super salesman and sometimes he's just a foil for Scrooge McDuck but it's like imagine if that was today and the internet blows up because what they're giving Donald Duck dialogue in these comics that's not him at all um, anyway they go back and say, how do we bring back those characters and make them for modern day? And it's like, man, we have a huge cast. What's the point of having three characters that are exactly the same? And instead, since everybody says it's Huey, Dewey, and Louie, they took that as the birth order. So nice. Huey is the one that comes out as the organized one and family trip planner. And, and that's, you know, the oldest child syndrome, uh, Dewey is the one who's the middle child always buying for attention so mm-hmm. he jumps in without <laughs> jumps in without thinking you know and it's like you know watch out for those booby traps hey where's Dewey oh he ran out the door as soon as you said do you know booby traps um and then there's Louie who is the the last child who's just as soon lay around and take the attention and you know if he can make a million dollars watching TV on a couch he's he's there but that right. gives you, and of course, Webby, from this kind of cliche, cutesy cipher who is just a tag-along, and the boys were insulting to, oh, she's just a girl. She's now older and aged, you know, oh, really? on par with the boys. So they don't talk about the nephews anymore. They talk about the kids. And the, because Webby is there. Yeah, if you look at so all the stuff. they're going to match on, her age to them on this one? Yeah. Well, have okay. you seen the stuff? Have you no, I haven't. I, I honestly haven't. Not yet. Okay. On the, here's the things to look at on the net. and um, Certainly the theme song is on. You get to see how much they call back to the comics. Um, and then there is a sneak peek of them. Um, basically, it's not from the... The premiere episode is August 12th. It's an hour special. They're going to play it for 24 hours straight. Yes. And then it's toward the end of September is the beginning of the show. And by that time, you 
you know, at the beginning of that hour special, the nephews don't even know they're related to Uncle Scrooge. They just know that he's this crazy billionaire guy. Um, and the fact that they're somehow related is just mind-blowing to them. Um, anyway, the the clip that's currently on is a dart gun fight that goes through the halls of the manor. Um, so you see, you really get to see the characters interact and how their personalities are different. And then there's some, I think there's also a sneak peek, which is more like a trailer type thing that, that debuted months and months ago. So that's what YouTube is for. <laughs> Type in DuckTales and uh, enjoy. And in fact, recently now that the sh- show's getting closer, they put out little gag cartoons like 30 seconds long on several of the characters. Now, yeah, I've seen stuff on Disney Channel, like when my daughter's watching it. Um, you know, little snippets here. I do know I was super excited that my favorite doctor is going to be Scrooge McDuck. Oh, yeah. Um, the That was the thing. When they released, again, on the Internet, the cast singing the song. Yes. Nobody knew who, you know, things were. And uh, suddenly you're seeing you know, actors from Saturday Night Live and Parks and Recreation, and mm-hmm. they're singing the song. They're, the nephews are wearing the various colored shirts. Um, and then you hit David Tennant doing Scrooge, and, you know, you look at those reaction videos and just, you know, you practically see the heads exploding. Um, yeah. I'm super they, excited for it. I really am. As soon as, as soon as they told me that, I said, oh, you guys are brilliant. You know, that... Yup. You know, again, that is... You know, people couldn't say, oh, it's got to be the original voice because Alan Young died. Died, um, yeah, this, yeah. But it is, there was still that sensibility, oh, nobody can come up to him. And it's like, how about going with a real Scottish person as opposed to someone doing an accent? Um, and somebody already beloved in nerd culture. Exactly. So <laughs> said that to me, and it was just like, okay, you guys, it's pretty brilliant. you're on track. It's pretty brilliant. <laughs> Okay, so let's go to um, what I've always considered the Disney Batman, <laughs> almost. Um, just with happier outcomes. <laughs> um, but uh, Darkwing Duck, which let's get dangerous, um, was a catchphrase for me as a kid. Um, it almost became, I don't want to get all new agey, but it was almost like a mantra if I was scared of something or nervous to do something. You always oh, called cool. up the, well, let's get dangerous. You know, you wanted to jump a bike to impress your friends who just did something cool. And you're like, there's a good chance I could die today. But you would say <laughs> it out loud. You would say it out loud. Like, all right. You know, and I didn't even say it like, because I, I, I can't do any impressions that, that that much justice for that but i would you know like that was my catchphrase let's get dangerous and then i'd go do it or even as a teenager with my punk rock music blaring in my headphones and you know and we switched from bike riding to skateboarding and you'd want to try something that there's a good chance that you're going to wake up many months later asking <laughs> what happened and you know in my head it was I still say it. I'm 36 years old, and I still say it, much to my wife's chagrin, because now I do say it with the lisp. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, but yeah, that show, um, I definitely 
wanted to devote time to that because that I, I absolutely still adore Darkwing. Well, Darkwing is much. again. I think I said before that my two career highlights were Darkwing and Hellboy for oh my god, yes. whole different reasons. But but Darkwing was the closest to my sensibilities in every way. I grew up with Silver Age comics, and mm-hmm. you know was twelve. 11 or 12 when Marvel Comics started up and had those and I could recognize there was something different about them. Um, So, and there's a case where, again, they went for the catchy name and it wasn't Darkwing Duck, it was Double O Duck. That Mm. there was an episode of DuckTales called Double O Duck which had Launchpad being a secret agent. Um, And Jeffrey asked me to develop a show with that title. You know, again, same idea that we expect you to do a good show, but, you know, we want something that'll maybe cut through. And he thought that was a good, fun name and a riff on, you know, the duck thing. Um, I was totally unexcited about it because I thought, well, that's just going to be a spy parody. And this is well before um, Austin Powers. Um right. But anyway, you know, he was the boss, so I went ahead and did it. We had Q and, you know, all the typical things, cliche things you would do in a a James Bond parody. And Jeffrey saw it, and he said, you know, and my feeling was, it's just a parody. It has no heart. It's got no sense of family. It doesn't feel Disney. Uh, Which were words Jeffrey parroted right back to me when he saw it. He says, this isn't Disney. It doesn't have heart. It doesn't have a sense of family. The big difference is, he said do it over um, so then I had to and I should have done it the first time not pitch something you don't believe in but I pushed instead of being a Bond secret agent I kind of went with Doc Savage out of the old pulps not that I was not that I was old enough to know this stuff I knew it as a fan and hearing old radio shows and so it was like Doc, Doc Savage had a team of people who helped him well that took the place of you know, yeah, it's a spy organization, but it's much more eccentric. Uh, so he had a team working with him. Uh, then it wasn't until later on, frank- frankly, that we thought, hey, you know who'd be a good part of this team is Launchpad, because he, and this is not how we ended up playing Launchpad at all, but Launchpad kind of thought he should be the hero, you know. He was, you know why should I be helping this other guy? I don't want to be a sidekick. I'm not a sidekick. I'm a hero. Um, anyway, uh, it got sold. They, I mean, they liked the idea. They went out and sold it. We had little cloisonne pins that said double O duck. And that's when the people who owned the James Bond franchise said, um, double O is a thing or is not a thing outside of us. We own the rights to that. You know, wow. it's not public domain. So we needed another, um, a, a new name for the character and we had a contest and it took I just uncovered a list of several pages long of every kind of alliteration that you could think of because uh, the prize was like $500 uh, amazingly and it was kind of a forehead slapping moment uh, because Nightwing was out there uh, Alan Burnett came up with Darkwing hmm. and I said I mean there was nothing that was even close to it, it wasn't like Oh, what between this or that? It was like, no, that's it. But I said, let's add duck to it because Darkwing sounds 100% adventurous and duck 
makes it silly, and that's exactly what the show is. It's the mix of the adventure and the comedy. Uh, Alan won his $500 and soon thereafter left to go to Warner Brothers and become the editor of Bruce Timm's um, Animated Adventures of Batman, Batman, Batman the animated series. Oh my God. So Alan was key to getting that. He understood what Bruce was going for, and so many writers didn't. And Alan only recently retired, you know, literally a month or two ago. Um, so I kind of think we warmed him up. Yeah, do you, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys realize that you were like, for, to, to me, you guys were these mad geniuses that yeah. that just created so much joy. And, you know, I mean. Well, you know, especially on like Rescue Rangers, we were just trying to get the script out because I was totally understaffed on that. We had a huge production staff, but the writing staff was non-existent practically. Um I've, I've actually told the new DuckTales guys, I say, guys, I am jealous of what you get to do because we were just trying to get scripts out. <laughs> you guys know what you're dealing with. You know right. that it's already success, and they feel the responsibility. So it's like they can't believe they're working on this fantastic show or they're getting to work on the show that they grew up with and love so much, and then equal parts terrified that they are working in the show that they grew up with and, and so and loves, these other things so beholden yeah yeah exactly and they so and they are again super fans of this stuff and really you know can remember everything of all different versions you know comics and strips and things like that right. um so i you know i was literally behind the curtain standing behind you know david tennant and the rest of the cast <sighs> were dancing to the theme of ducktales you know, before they went on stage at the San Diego Comic-Con. Um, and then, you know, it was just fantastic that, to, to see that enthusiasm. I leaned over to the third producer who's behind the scenes, Susanna Olson, and I said, make sure you enjoy every minute of this because you have a room full of cheering people, their expectations are so high, and they've created this thing that I think will meet expectations. It'll be a whole different show than you than you perhaps think it's going to be um, but I think it's going to be funny and the adventure is going to be bigger and I've said in the past that if if I had a chance to go back to Darkwing that would be my goal is to actually make the adventure stuff more adventurous to actually feel like he's up to something uh, really risking something but then go broader and crazier with the comedy at the same time um, is that a possibility? well I'll never know because I mean they're not going to have me come back and do Darkwing but wow. at, I will say I was there at uh, San Diego Comic Con, and uh, nobody, nobody said Darkwing Duck is going to be part of Ducktales in any way. However, they did accidentally show a few model sheets that had a certain daring duck of mystery on them, in the Ducktales style, and a certain vehicle known as the Rat Catcher. Uh-huh. And several villains that would be familiar to fans. So Frank Angonis, who's the co-producer and, and head of story, said, you didn't see that. <laughs> Nobody yeah. saw that. You and saw nothing? Said, At D23, the convention, which was crazily just the week before, yeah. uh, somebody asked straight out, is Darkwing Duck going to be part of DuckTales? And he said, you know, 
the daring duck, he said the terror that flaps in the night, and people cheered, and he says the burrito that sits in your stomach, stomach. or, you know, and, and everybody <laughs> cheered, and then there was a pause, and he said, I'm not familiar with that character. Next question. Oh. They're having fun. And uh, I will say like this, it. that no matter what you, and this is true about every facet of that show, you will watch it, and especially with the internet, you'll see something, you'll say, oh, I know what they're doing, they're just doing this and this and this. And that'll be both positive and negative, and it's just like, later in the season, you're going, wait, wait a minute, they're not doing that at all. That's, that's not what I expected to happen. And that goes from season to season, of what they've already got planned out. Oh, wow. There are twists, and you'll say, oh, they decided to go this way with that. Oh, they wait, they didn't go that way with that. So it's definitely a show that's tons of fun and lots of surprises. Jeez, now you got me way more excited, <laughs> way more excited than I was. I mean, I was excited for it, but now, you know, wow. It is really, I, I told the guys, I said, once I saw that clip where, there's a little conversation between uh, Scrooge and Mrs. Beakley. Um, so you really get the sense of personalities. I said, I realize now when I think of DuckTales, I don't think of the old show. You know, I think of the new one. And I haven't seen that much of it, but it's just so exciting. I mean, I would love to go back into Darkwing and cut, I don't know, five minutes out of every episode. Um, just to move things along at a modern pace and to you know, just to improve the timing of things. Um, but they've gone into this with modern sensibilities of timing and editing and cinema, and and uh, everybody on the show was a fan of the Disney afternoon. And uh, that's why you can't get mad. Fans can't say, oh, Disney's going to do this. No, it's not Disney. It's fans, it's just fans. like you, but they're incredibly talented fans. Yeah. So. And now they get to do what you in your head have always wished you could. Well, it no, was not, like, I was never, yeah, I was never one of those people saying, I mean, at the time it was great, and what helped us recharge, because Darkwing went for 91 episodes. Yes, it did. They came, especially the last order of 13, we thought we were done. So there was kind of a downtime, what are we going to do next, and all that. And then they said, no, no, you're going to do 13. So it was enough time to recharge. Um, but... You know, I did not spend my career looking backwards, saying, like, oh, I want to do that show again. I mean, right. again, Greg Wiseman has many, many stories of, of gargoyles in his head, just as he had many stories of and a future plan for Young Justice. Now, Young oh. Justice got its third season yes, coming it on did. Netflix. You know, that was largely because of the fans that Greg has cultivated over the years. I am one of them. Yeah, and just telling people to say, binge watch the seasons of Young Justice My over wife and, and over. I got Tell your so friends and all that. Like and enamored and sucked into that. The, 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 I mean, I love Justice League and I love Justice League Unlimited, but Young Justice, we we were like, well, let's check it out. And, and I'm not kidding, like, before the end of the first episode, we were like, well, we're not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> and, you know, it just, like, consumed... Like it was a buffet. Uh, I saw the season three announcement and did a dance of joy. I, I can I can vouch for that. <laughs> but um, no, I mean so. I mean he's he lived with his dream, but for me it was all about. I mean I always wanted to do. I mean the only thing that would 
lure me back to animation. And even then, it, you know, not worrying about the practical side of this, but just to say what project right. would you want to go back? It would only be either a show of my own that I could run. And these right. days it's very hard to do that. It's just things are set up differently with development and executives and things. Um, or like doing more Hellboy as a series. Because um, originally, yes, originally Hellboy was a series, and we had figured out oh, this many Lobster Johnson episodes and this many that focus on Liz and this many as a team, you know, just kind of had a rough idea and many, many ideas. That would be fun because it was creating a show for yourself more than, I mean, yeah, Darkwing was my show, my kind of show. Um, but to be able to write animation to be scary or suspenseful, that's something, there's not a lot of shows that do it. They don't let you take the time. Um, right. But even then, like I say, the, and they, you know, with Hellboy being rebooted in, in movies, there could be a new animated version down the line, but they're not going to call me back. I mean, so it's just like time for the next guys to take, take their shots. Yeah. So how, how did that come about? Were, 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 I mean, were you a comic fan and you just loved the character or? Oh, I always, I pitched Hellboy at Disney. Um, did you really? Yeah. You know, I took a shot. <laughs> I've been, by the time I got to do Hellboy, I had been pitching him and working with him in one way or another for about 12 years. Um, oh, wow. And, uh, you know, but it's just as well. I, I always make the joke. I say, I can't, you know, maybe his name would have been changed to Heck Boy or something. And, and I have a hard time seeing him posing with Mickey Mouse on Main Street. But <laughs> on the other hand, that's what Iron Man does. So. Yeah. <laughs> you got Darth Vader and, uh, and exactly. Thanos now. Mm-hmm. Getting represented at Disney, you've got a a, a a universe destroyer, and you know. But yeah, no, I I grew up, um, you know, like I said, comics were a big thing, and Hellboy. It's it's just such a different concept. It, it's such a cool concept, you know, out of the box. When, when I remember when it first kind of showed up and people were reading it and somebody was like, hey, you, you need to check this one out. Um, I mean, I, I got into it pretty well, early and, and then... Mike Mignola is one of the most creative people I know and just in terms of how fast he can come up with a concept and, and yes. just how his eye, his brain races and, and comes up with things. I mean, if he's in a... a limo ride to a studio meeting he'll probably have you know the essence of four features by the time he gets there you know um anyway i mean that was just such a fun thing to work on because just the subject matter was so different um and you know just really capturing the feeling of the comic as much as i could um which i felt we did better than than i was going to say you did yes Guillermo made Hellboy kind of an adolescent, whereas I always felt like in the comics he's the battle-scarred veteran that everybody wants to go on a mission with because his friends come back alive, you know. Uh, right, it was kind of weird, I, I, I will say. Um, it was kind of weird while watching the movie, and and, and I like the movies. I'm not going to two-face it. I mean, I like the movies, but it was kind of weird 
to see Ron Perlman act like a pissy 15-year-old. Yeah. For, for, for most of it, it was, I mean, yeah. The character designs were great, um, you know. Well, again, I can't wait for the new version, again, using the same, Abe's, the same, their, same... Uh, their Abe Sapien was amazing. Oh, yeah. Like, it was, yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely I've seen the uh, I've seen the 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 animated, and it definitely was more in touch with the impression I got from the book. Yeah. We got to write a third uh, one. The idea was to do you know like seven of them, but then the oh. the company was sold uh, to Stars, and they weren't interested in um, spending their own money doing original properties, you know, animated oh, properties sick. like that. Um, so. Anyway, that was, you know, but we did get a chance to write a third script, which I felt like, well, that would have been the best one, because that was with Lobster Johnson and Cyber Apes and, you know, yes. different telling of the origin. It was just, I, you know, a lot of fun. Um, well, we'll see. We'll see what the new what new one brings. Exa- yeah, exactly. It's about to get a new a new breath of life into it as a franchise. And I mean, the important going back to Darkwing, the important part of that show that wasn't there in the, that original concept until we finally got to it. That's what sold the show is the idea of what if Batman had a little girl who refused to stay at home, and that was Goslin, and she's actually. You know, my I was going to say, yeah. I was going to say the relationship between him and Goslin was probably. It, it, it was that is it was what, a very that, mature concept for a cartoon, but we got it. You, you, you know what I mean? Like we we understood that is the, depth the thing of that, that relationship. When I have people getting misty eyed, it is that relationship and them saying yes. that is what I held on to because my father left, you know, or he was terrible or whatever. And to have a father daughter relationship like that you know, really affected, the, they were an anchor for these women uh, and was very, very touching. And it's, you know, it's been practically every con that I've been to, but it was really hit on the very first one. Um, you know, we were trying to be funny, basically. We were trying to make a Disney heart and all of that, but uh, uh, it was just, a, you know, didn't realize, again, the effects we were having and, and how important our stuff could be to him. And Goslin was just such a great character, fun character to write. And they've actually, you know, I think taken a lot of her for in the recreation of, of Webby. You see, a, you know, it's different, but you can see how, you know, I feel Goslin blazed the trail of, you know, you don't have to be precious with these little girls. Yes. Well, see, I mean, I... I grew up with all boys, and now I'm a daddy to two girls. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, watching, sitting down with them and watching old episodes and, you know, looking stuff up and and watching stuff, it's it, it definitely has a new meaning for me as an adult who has two goslins. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And not to sound cheesy, but, you know, I, I, have, I have two girls. I have that relationship. I, I need to be, I need to be the hero like that for them mm-hmm. and and to also not hold them so precious that I don't let them become heroes themselves yeah you know so yeah there were concepts in there I guess that 
I guess that that's why this stuff survives so the, the way it does and why it's beloved the the way it is because it did embed things that as kids we we watched but there was something that was that was put in there that stuck with us mm-hmm. and informed us on how to be better when it was our turn you know yeah so I mean, we you just always sense that they cared about each other, no matter how much trouble they were giving each other, how much grief. Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah, I I. I guess that's why I've held on to. To and it's not just nostalgia, but you know, like, the stuff from my childhood seemed more. It it, it just it looked like it had more, more depth to it than I think a lot of what's thrown. At kids for entertainment. I don't know. I would say um, I am not one of the guys who say, "Oh, things were much better back then." Um, no. When you look at a show like Gravity Falls, uh, <laughs> and it's like you can imagine that being a Darkwing show, that sense of mystery and oddness and things like that. You can imagine Darkwing in those adventures, and that would be and a fantastic. People getting show. mad and saying that. Oh, they're just endorsing the Illuminati. Look at all the occult symbols. Yeah. And you're like, it, it's a cartoon. Yeah, so anyway, the... <laughs> it's a cartoon, guys. Yeah. Let's, let's all um, climb down off our ledges and... Yeah, so I mean, and I just think they're just smarter and and more ambitious in things of what they do or that they take chances with the humor or they... Um, yeah, and there, yes. are, there are bad cartoons and uh, good cartoons, but... I mean, come on, this is how the human brain works. It's hard to come up with, you know, beat the memories of a seven-year-old. And even now, if you watch old shows, you can say, oh, this still holds up. And it's like, you know, does it really, or is it just that you're already sold on it? You know, because right, it, or does you know, it just hold up for you? Yeah, right? exactly. So, and sometimes they it does hold up, and you know, you can show it to kids, and they're still entertained and all that, and um, which is fantastic, you know. But you know, you have to go for the audience that's currently watching TV, right? And and, that, and that's just it. Like, and and I do think about that. Like, is is it just precious to me, or could you could you take kids who who weren't raised by me who weren't raised with my love of it so they grew up seeing it knowing it and loving it and themselves could you put it on tv today and would people look at it you know kids look at it and be like eh yeah i think i mean again if you could reanimate everything so it looked like a modern show i think those things would do fairly well because they were trying to do classic disney stuff and but certainly again i'm you know, DuckTales is going to find out. I think they already know that it's will be super popular with the older crowd who love the original. Um, and even if you have misgivings about, uh, oh, the boys' voices are now all different and they're played by adult actors and, um, oh, I'm not sure about the design style. You know, third episode in, you're not going to be thinking of any of that. You're just going to be enjoying the show. Right, exactly. Um it is, I mean, it is the heart and the storytelling, these guys who really, you know, I mean, they got misty-eyed, the, the producers, when they were watching the original, the the hour special in the final mix with all the music, all the effects and all that. And the reason why they got emotional is they said, it feels like DuckTales. 
And they were so happy about that. You know, it was totally fresh, but it felt like what they had grown up with. So I think that's just awesome. Yeah. I, I After talking to you, like, I, I mean, I, I was excited for it. But after talking and, and listening to, to you two break it down, I'm definitely going to. Well, you're going to have to get off of this call and uh, fire up YouTube and uh, I will. see what's already out. <laughs> oh, my God. They got Paul Tompkins to be Gladstone. Oh, that's perfect casting him. So, <sighs> And, of course, the big, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda being Gizmo Duck. You know, it turns out Lin is a huge fan of the show. So it's like, yeah, I did this little thing called Hamilton, but. What I'm remembered for is the time I played Gizmo Duck. <laughs> Gizmo Duck. Well, let's see. I mean, Margot Martindale playing Ma Beagle. My wife loves her. Oh, she's fantastic. You know, I just heard. She loves her. I mean, I, I know stuff she's in, but my wife would, would be more like, <gasps> you know, um, perfect choice for Webby. I'm, I'm looking stuff. Oh, up Kate Bucci, yeah. Yeah, uh, Bobby Moynihan. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. I mean, you got Jim Rash of. Uh, this is gonna play Gyro. Yeah, it's. This cast is it, it can't fail. Yeah. It really can't. I'm looking through it and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be pretty kick-ass from start to finish. But you did you you, you said something, but I, I know we're I know we're 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 going on and on. Um, I'm one of those people. I could I, I I could do this all day, but other people don't want to. <laughs> um, but you said you worked on Bob's Burgers. Yeah, I was a storyboard artist on that. Okay. Um, it was funny. In the small world of animation, I, 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 uh, Jen Coyle, who was a storyboard artist for me on the Hellboy series, or the Hellboy movies, uh, was my director that I worked for her on Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers. That show is amazing. Um, I, I like H. John Benjamin. I, I'm very envious of a man who can have multiple successful shows on TV at the same time as a voice actor and never have to change your voice. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a genius in that to me. Um, I mean, I love Archer and everything. My wife won't watch it with me. It's a little too contenty for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big dumb idiot, so I, I, I laugh at every crass joke that's written for that show. But Bob's Burgers is one I can watch. Um, we we all watch it together, and I've actually gone through on Netflix and rewatched the series a couple times. Yeah, that one. I mean, the the experience. I mean, it is a fantastic show. The my experience was, you know, it's not a show that you can even add a gag to as a storyboard artist because it is all about the approved script and the dialogue and all of that. And a couple of my scenes, actually, they had to cut frames out of my storyboards because they were more animated than the style of the show. Uh, I famously did in the first or second season, one scene where Bob was in the kitchen drunk and the other one he was on drugs or something like that. They gave both to me after I had done the one. Um, But, for again, for me creatively, while I was there, I did a pilot for Disney Junior that... Bento Box, the company that animates Bob, um, would have produced had it gone. And that kind of gave me a light at the end of the tunnel um, as far as just creatively, selfishly, it's like seeing Lauren get Bob's burger on the air. That's his baby and his dream and all that. Um, But it was just 
hard for me um, to 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 be a cog in the machine. Although I've you know I've never referred to my artists as as cogs, um, and I just I didn't feel like I was making a fantastic. I didn't feel I was like great at the job I was doing, um, but I guess I was okay, <laughs> you know. Uh, but then once I, once it was obvious we weren't going to do the pilot, I just became more cranky and, and, um, more troubles. I didn't make trouble. I just wasn't as pleasant to be around. Um, and ultimately that was when they, you know, on a hiatus, they, uh, didn't ask me back, which turned out to be great because then I did a couple of scripts for Generator Rex and then was available to do, you know, new productions of my own. Yeah, I was going to say, I I haven't watched it, but I saw it go by. What was the the Netflix series? That's called the Kulapari Army of Frogs. It's based on um, uh, three books by Trevor Price, who a former NFL uh, Super Bowl player um and it's this weird kind of a lot of touchstones with australian um culture Uh, but it's just a world of amphibians and insects um a fantasy world where they're life-sized and um i came on i was hired on as a director and then ended up being the editor and in fact rewrote all the scripts um and, and the the uh, writers were really nice, but they had never done animation before, um, so they had to lean on me a lot. So you know, I did some intense rewriting that first season. But what was neat about it for me was it was an entirely different kind of show. It wasn't just an action adventure show. It was it had scenes of real personality and emotion to them and. Uh, it was just, like I say, a, a, a unique show. If I was starting from scratch, it was not necessarily the show I was doing. And sometimes the story went in weird ways because that's how the story went. It was, again, based on books, and the client was the author. Right. Um, but it forced me to go in different directions, and some... Um, I'm okay with others. It's like, ah, I just... That didn't quite work for me. The coolest thing about it is I worked with um, Cartoon Conrad, a studio in um, Nova Scotia, and they were fantastic. They just, I worked with them as if they were literally on the premises. We'd have Skype chats and video chats where I would talk with the director and, and you know, let them create things. Sometimes I needed, a, at least once, I needed a, a scene a, just to basically connect a sequence and um, instead of drawing it at all, I just described what I needed, and I totally trusted them to come up with one, which is something I would never have done with, you know, any of my studios in the past. But um, right. anyway, that was that was just great for me because I was basically getting pencil tests, which I hadn't worked with since features, you because know, right. at Disney, I always tried to avoid doing them. It wasn't even an issue at first because they wouldn't spend the money on them. But then when it became like shows are starting to do it, I always resisted because I just felt it was another way for, you know, 
note givers to interfere. It's like they wouldn't they wouldn't give all the notes on script because it was easy for them to wait to see it moving in an animatic, and it's, that's when it's harder to actually change everything. Um, and then finally, when we did the Atlantis show, I said, finally, this is where we really need to do test because we're going to be playing with suspense and almost horror and we got to know what's working and that's when they say oh we don't have the money for that anymore so it's like no but with this studio in Canada um, I was actually seeing you know animation at several different stages and could give notes that really improved it and they were willing to do it Um, so that that was just a great experience, you know. That part of things, working with the animators, I felt like I was back in features. Um, nice. Anyway, the show was successful enough, kind of an animated Game of Thrones in some way. There was like it starts out, you say, "Oh, this is check a, it out." Then. You say, "This feels like a Disney adventure." Kind of, oh my god, they're starting to kill each other. Um, it gets pretty violent, so I would not. It's not like, oh, Tad, he worked on the Disney Afternoon, and here's his new show. No, don't go into it like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, no. there's been, there's, you know, there's all sorts of things in there, and, and sword I'm have to play check and that stuff out, like that, so. Definitely. But, um, yeah, man, I, I just, I don't know, I mean, I'm definitely excited for 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 DuckTales coming back. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see maybe some fresh takes on some of the other Disney Afternoon stuff. I mean, it, it was... Well, one, let me tell you this. It was definitely popular. Part of the source material is the Disney Afternoon. It's not just DuckTales. So, right. it's not like the Gummy Bears live next door to Scrooge McDuck. But he gets, he's like Indiana Jones, he gets artifacts from all around the world. And I believe there is at least one adventure where the artifact is a vial of gummy berry juice. So it's like the Disney afternoon lore, you might not see the characters, but there'll be more than Easter eggs. There'll actually be be plots that say, oh, so in the past of this world, they existed. I got you. The ones that the only thing it doesn't that they couldn't use was Chip and Dale because there's a movie in development. The other problem with Chip and Dale, of course, is humans. That they're the show that actually ha- is in a human world where everybody else is in a totally anthropomorphic world. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't even yeah. think about that. Did you wait? There's a Rescue Rangers movie or a Chip and Dale? Movie? Rescue Rangers. I mean, it's been in oh, development for two years, three years. Made a big thing when when it first was announced. It was announced way earlier than you would normally announce a, a movie. But uh, and again, people said you've got to be on it. If they don't have you on it, you know, we're going to start a petition. I had to get everybody to calm down yeah, right. because I said, right, guys, guys, this is what happened. I said, a fan just like you guys is a movie director who has a deal to make movies with Mandeville Films, who have an agreement to make movies with Walt Disney Studios. So this band came up with a way that he thinks he could do Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers in live action and CG. 
which is which is uh, perfect to me because they're supposed to be the characters who live in the in the, in the human, human world, world. Right. hidden away, and I think that would be so fanciful to do. I mean, just the perfect medium for him. Um, yeah. I said, so what has happened? He came up with an idea. He went to Mandeville Films. They say, hey, that's a cool idea. That obviously we can only do it if Disney agrees. And they pitched to Disney, and Disney said, wow, that sounds like a cool idea. Let's put it in development, which means you start working on a script. And that's, I said, guys, that's all it is. It's not coming out next year or the year after that or who knows when. That's all that's happened. And then that was the last I had heard anything about it until I was talking to the DuckTales guys. And they said, oh, yeah, we asked, what can we have? And they said everything except for Chip and Dale. Um, And that was so it's yeah. right. Cool. All right. Well, that's awesome. I'm going to wind this up <laughs> so you can get onto YouTube and check out some DuckTales. Yes. Everybody else needs to do it too. Everybody uh, who listens after I post this, they need to get ready for the August premiere of DuckTales and then get ready for the series when it hits its regular schedule. In yeah. September. So you, on YouTube, you want to look for the theme song, uh, the first look, and then I forget what the last sequence is called. It might be Sneak Peek. Um, whatever, once you have DuckTales in, you'll see, you know, it'll pop up on your browser, so. Have fun. Gotcha. Enjoy. Countdown starts. Yeah. Well, for me, um, thank you. Uh, not just for coming on the show, but for, you know, um, the body of work that, that, that you've put out over the years has brought me and my family many smiles, many happy memories, and definitely for me a very Happier childhood, um, you know. I, I didn't want to do the sob story stuff. Of, you know, everybody's got a rough backstory. Everybody has tragedy, but uh, cartoons, uh, especially Disney Afternoon, and um, a lot of the Animaniac stuff got me through some pretty, some pretty rough stuff. So I'm glad we could help. For, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for for the stuff you worked on and the stuff you brought to us, and you know. Well, you are welcome. Thank and, uh, you enough. I'm speaking for the. <laughs> and we had an incredible staff, and a lot of the artists are still working in the industry. Uh, a lot of the writers are actually working on shows for Disney Junior. Um, so they're still out there, and and they appreciate all this love that's now being shared on on the internets and stuff. So, thank you very much for having me on. Yes, sir. Thank you for your time. Thank thanks for staying on so long. I I, I Appreciate it more than you know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, these days I always sign off with "Stay dangerous." Oh, that's awesome. Well, I assume any I'm true fan has been dangerous it. the whole time. <laughs> always dangerous. <laughs> Thank you, All sir. Right. You have a good day. Right, yes, bye. sir.